Hello and welcome to Matt Bites episode 93. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. In this episode, training dragons, taming squirrels and making intimate measurements. I think we've um, peaked too early with an ooh there. Mm. We got a mail this week from John who said, Never thought I'd say this, but I'm enjoying a Microsoft product. Had to give it a go after hearing Elaine and Kevin talking about it and I'm loving it. So I guess he's talking about OneNote. Very different to Evernote, which I seem to struggle to find anything in. Thanks for covering it. If you hadn't, I'd never have tried it. Another convert. Ah, I love OneNote. It is very, very good. They've got something right for once. But while that was good news for me, I also got an email from Gemma, who reprimanded me severely. She says, I was listening to MapBytes 92, read the icons, fuzzy or otherwise, and I couldn't believe you didn't mention your fetish for zip icons. I saw your video on YouTube and changed all mine afterwards. Keep the new shows coming. I'm loving them. So someone else with an icon fetish then? Oh, come on. You, it got to be done. Those default white icons for zip files are appallingly bland. And you replace them with? Mm, the lime green ones, but they look much better than that sounds. I will put a link in the show notes to that video. Thank you very much for reminding me. That was very remiss of me. It was a short little video I did, probably about eight minutes, um, about how to change the icons. Because when I was looking for details of how to change them, um, I could find nothing. Nothing about it at all. So I worked out how to do it and uh, it's all in that video. Now, a follow up from our chat about Beastocks Timeline uh, 3D and their new pricing structure. An app I'd not seen before called Vellum, which turns out to be an ebook creator for the Mac. It actually looks quite high end. Having said that, it doesn't seem to do graphics too well. Um, and by comparison, you've got iBooks Author out there as well. But what makes this more high-end and more probably for professionals is that it doesn't just do iBooks. Uh, it's got Kindle books, it's got Nook books, the whole range. So it is, in essence, an ebook creator for the Mac. What caught my eye was the pricing. It's got pay-as-you-go pricing, which doesn't sound bad when we were talking about that Adobe thing at, at a couple of pounds. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember that last week. But the pay-as-you-go pricing here, very different. Uh, if you're looking to produce one book, then it costs $49.99, which I thought was quite a lot for, for a single book. I don't think that's expensive for an app that's a high-end app, but I've never before thought about the price in terms of how much output you can create. On that basis, I would bankrupt myself 10 times over a day. So I thought $49.99 for one book was a little bit too much. But there is a 10-book um, price, which is $149.99. In that instance, each book would only cost you $15. If you want a completely unlimited license for it, then you're looking at $299.99. So what do you think to that? I would say cue more hand-wringing, as I said last week. The pay-per-use model actually isn't as bad as it appears. No, I wouldn't want to pay-per-sell entry every time I use Excel, but on the whole, it's actually a fairer system. Really? You just wouldn't fancy using it. I, I just can't completely agree with that. If you only use the free features of an app, then you'll be happy. But free users, people only using, you know, who aren't paying anything at all, they're only using the free features of an app, they don't keep that app going. And I think there is a danger there for the app developers. And I think the danger is that people just won't buy. 
Steve Jobs had it right regarding choice. If you've got too much choice, people get confused. Think about the phones these days. I know I said I wasn't in the market for an iPhone 5S, but if I was, I was torn between the gold one and the silver one. I actually think I prefer the silver one. But then if a new one's out and it's gold, then do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it, it does just give you confusion. And in this case, it's one app. It's the same app. All you're paying for is the number of outputs that you've got. But it does give you uncertainty. It gives you uncertainty as the total cost. And for me, that would mean no purchase. That, I think, is the danger for the developers. But there's a danger for the users as well. If you think I'm only ever going to write one book, so I'll just get the forty nine ninety nine one, and then you think I like this book writing business, then it could end up costing you more than it would have done if you'd have unlocked the unlimited licenses at the beginning. And then I think it could go full circle. The user then becomes disillusioned and thinks, I can't be doing with this, and just goes to find another app. Oh, it might work, it might not. It wouldn't work for me, I don't think. I would just, if I was in the market for that app, then the great thing is you can carry on using it for free until you need to output anything. I guess at that point, if you've got all your book in there, then at a minimum, you're going to have to pay $49.99 to get it out of there, unless you just copy and paste it into something else. There's a lot of effort goes into that, isn't there? There is, yeah. I uh, see what you're saying. So I would just try it, really test it as well as I possibly could and make the decision, do I want to buy this app or not? And I think I would ignore the pay-as-you-go prices and concentrate on the actual price for a totally unlocked version of $300 and then make the decision on that basis, did I think it was worth it or not? Mm. Back to feedback from this week. Oh, yes. Andrew was bordering on delinquency. Seems he'd been seduced Yes, seduced into listening to Kevin on the geekiest show ever. Yes, he said, I confess it took me almost a week to get around to listening to the third episode. Although he blames you, he'd never heard of the geekiest show ever until Kevin came on Matt Bites. So now he has a 152 episode back catalogue to work his way through. Anyway, just thought I would add with relation to the discussion about calendar, as I live in New Zealand, but for some reason, the calendar tried to show me all the UK's holidays on my calendar. I admit we used to be a colony and are still part of the Commonwealth, but surely people at Apple must know that New Zealand and the UK are separated by almost 12,000 miles and do not share the same bank holidays. I actually think that's possibly worse than my gripe. What do you reckon? Uh, uh, Yes, I would say it is. Yeah, totally different country. Can you imagine if I was seeing the New Zealand holidays? Then you'd have something to say about that. As long as I got the holidays, but then being <laughs> seen as though I'm not employed. Very annoying, very annoying. Yes, I do think that's worse than my grab. You have my, my deepest sympathies. I think if Apple just made all these calendars optional, nobody would have a problem at all. Anyway, onward. Dave has been tempting me again, hasn't he? He has, yes. Feedback from Dave regarding Dragon Dictate. He said, you were worried... Uh, Magpie's teeth. The teeth? Early, early. You peaked early. He said, you were worried about whether Dragon Dictate would be accurate enough. And so is your guest. I find it incredibly accurate. It's about three times faster than typing. Just as good I expect a foot switch is is to use. Better touch tool along with a trackpad. I use for four fingers on the trackpad to tap along with the function key so that I don't do it by mistake to turn the microphone on and off. I can use drag and dictate to control applications such as messages. And when I've dictated it in all that I wish to say, I only 
have to say the command send message and off it goes. Dragon Dictate can be a little bit expensive to buy, but I got it on offer from Amazon originally and upgraded to the Mavericks version and I'll probably have to do another upgrade for Yosemite. Dictating everything into the Mac is so good that I try to also dictate when I'm using my iPad and also the Android devices. It's better to have the dictation happening without having to tap on done as you do with Siri at the moment, although this will change when iOS 8 becomes available. The other thing that I did mention about notes is there's a class of note taking where you would use an iOS application that will accept handwriting or draw notes such as Notability or Penultimate. And I think both of these also do audio notes that offer synchronization between the audio and the written. With this, you wouldn't need to have bits of paper and a pen nearby. Of course, all this message has been dictated into the Mac using Dragon Dictate. I have done some audio editing with it along the way, and if it was in school that I was going to publish on my website, then I will also give it a read through out loud just to catch anything I would miss that I wouldn't miss as I dictate. Then he thanks us for playing the audio on the podcast. Oh, I also say microphone off when I'm dictating, and then maybe when Victoria comes into the room and starts talking to me, although my hands are usually near to the function key in the trackpad, so I can use the better touch tool trick. Talking to her Mac. I could get the right hump if that happens. I've got Dragon Dictate on the iPhone and the iPad. Um, I think I just played with it when it first came out just to see how accurate it was. And I must say it was. It was very accurate. And you, I, you can see that by what Dave sent us. Now, I can definitely see the benefits, but I think you have to get into that mindset where your first thought is to pick up the device and dictate And my mindset isn't. My mindset is to type. If I want to do notes, it's to type. But, you know, Dave is obviously in that mindset of dictation, which is great. Yeah, that's my problem. I'm not convinced my mentality is there yet. I've actually only just started to be able to manage to stop myself reaching for a pen and my ARC notebook. But I could see the day, though. Um, I would need to be confident regarding the activation and the licensing. So I've got to say thanks for the temptation, Dave. Good to hear it's working so well. And I can see it in my future. You made an interesting point when you talked about um, notes apps, uh, the, the apps that you can draw in and that they all seem to have audio recording of some description. Uh, I was testing a microphone out um, and really I, I was trying to do a hardware test with my iPod Touch and my iPad. And one thing I did notice, I went through at least five apps that professed to record audio. So um, I'm trying to remember what they were, that three of them were notes apps. There was audio notes. Um, You know, the ones we've talked about before, don't you? I do. Yes. And I can't remember the name of the other two of them, but one was um, audio note and there was another two. And really what they were for, I think they're a very special type of app. It's where you write or type and it makes an audio recording simultaneously. And then when you come to play it back, it highlights the notes as you've written them in time with the audio. I'll just Does check that, my iPad. Just that to makes see. total sense, doesn't it? Those are the, It's those type of apps that I'm talking about. And I noticed um, those were those were three apps. The other two were just dedicated um, audio recorders. There was the, the one that we use all the time. What's that one called? That's um, iTalk. Is it iTalk Pro? iTalk, iTalk yes. Premium? Yeah. It's iTalk from, I um, can't remember who it's from, actually, but iTalk. And I use that one all the time. I think that one's great. And the other one was uh, Tascam. So I tested all five. And the reason that I tested all five was I noticed that some of the audio recording, the quality was absolutely appalling. So I ended up 
you know, previously I'd made the notes and I'd been concentrating on the notes and I hadn't really worried too much about the audio quality. It's good enough to listen to, I would say. But if you were trying to record an interview with somebody or something that you wanted to play back later um, in, a, in a, you know, in a, where quality mattered, some of them were absolutely atrocious. It seemed and I was using the same microphone. It was an external microphone. It's quite an expensive thing. And some of them were terrible. So might want to think about that as well. The other one, I think, was auditorium. That's the one. Yes. Um, I always tended to go back to audio notes in the end because at the time we, we did a whole review of it. We now need to go and dig out which show that was in. I'll leave you to do that. Um, but we talked about it um, in relation, like I said, to making notes rather than. And I think we just sort of said, oh, and it can record the audio as well. But how many times do you actually sit down and play it back? And when I actually did sit down and played it back, I thought this isn't the best quality, not by far. I know, I guess I'm used to having a, a really good microphone on my Mac. And I think by comparison, it wasn't great. But some of the time when I've recorded, you know, when you go out and you've got like maybe an Adobe Roadshow or something and I've recorded the audio, you don't tell Adobe, they don't need to know. Um, I've recorded it and I think it's OK. I've said to you, I think the quality of that's great. I've probably made some other more dodgy recordings than that, haven't we? I'm not going to get into or I will get arrested. Um, you, know, you know when you go places and you would like to have um, a recording of that later. No names, not mentioning anything, but you're, you're all with me. And, and I think the audio quality has been reasonably good. But considering that this was a decent microphone straight to an iPad and straight into an app and there was no noise in the room, it wasn't a great recording. So something to think about. There's a, a real variation in quality with, with some of these apps. Don't actually know why I would have thought that the um, device and the microphone controlled that. Um, I guess the, I, it, you know, I didn't think about this. I should have thought about that. The app is probably compressing it. It's probably a mono recording and it's probably compressed because it's, you know, only notes. And you may have a, a device with only 16 gig on it. So I, something is happening with the apps. So uh, be careful with that. Test it thoroughly first. But talking of apps, we've got a quick tip for those without the awesome apps from Air Squirrels. Those apps are Air Parrot and Reflector. And there is 20% off both of them until the 9th of September. So uh, if you don't have that, you may want to jump on that. They've also recently brought out a version of Reflector for the Android, which sounds fabulous, doesn't it? It does. But if you've got thoughts of mirroring an Android device to an Apple TV, sadly, forget it. The Android version does something totally different to that. But I did buy it anyway, and it does work very well. What it does is it turns an Android device into an AirPlay receiver. So you can mirror your iOS device to an Android device. I think I should just pause there and let, let people think about that as they all go up their own exhaust pipe thinking about it. What I actually wanted to do with it was take the screen of the Android and send that to an AirPlay receiver. But I guess this does exactly what Reflector for the Mac does. It turns the device it's installed on into an AirPlay receiver. So I had my Nexus 7 sat there and um, I reflected the screen of my iPod Touch and my iPad to it. You're wondering why, aren't you? I am. Just because I could. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of a use case. So if anybody out there can think of a use case, can you let me know? Because I bought the thing now. Oh, they can sell me anything. Uh, to be honest, the use of that, like I'm saying, it might be debatable, but it's a nice to have utility if you ever did have the need. And one day I'll work out what I could use it for. 
I have fun with Reflector recently. Um, I was delivering, as I've said in the last couple of episodes, I've been delivering some iPad training to some colleagues in Australia. So I've got Reflector installed on my work Windows laptop. This this actually started last year. Um, I got um, the other one, Air Server installed on my Vista laptop and it didn't work and I put it down to a problems with the network which in fact it is and I'll mention this in a minute but luckily the problems were all sorted out before I actually did this training a couple of weeks ago so I had Reflector running on not the same laptop I've got a Windows 7 laptop now well I've still got the Vista one but I've got the full collection haven't you I have yes so I had Reflector running on this Windows 7 laptop Um, I enabled AirPlay on the iPad and it couldn't see the laptop, even though both devices were connected to the same wireless network at work. And it turns out that Reflector and um, Air Server need certain ports to be open uh, on the, the network. And there's no way that this is going to happen at work. They're, you know, they're not open for a reason. I actually spoke to the guy who's in charge of the Wi-Fi at work, explained what I wanted to do and why I was being prevented um, from it. And, and he said, you know, no way at this moment in time can they uh, turn these ports on on the, the main network. So what they did for this training is they bought me a, a, a MiFi device. So I connected both devices to the MiFi. And this top, this time, my laptop was listed in the devices when I enabled AirPlay on the iPad. I turned mirroring on, but still nothing actually appeared on the laptop. So I thought, what I what I could do is I could, and I was going to deliver these courses from home anyway because they were at strange hours. But the, the principle of the of the matter is that I should be using um, work equipment. So I spoke to one of the techies and it turns out that the firewall software on the laptop, I think it's semantic endpoint uh, firewall, was preventing the iPad and the laptop from talking to each other. He couldn't disable the firewall software on my laptop because I have to use that every day to connect to the network. So what he did is he lent me another laptop. So like you say, full set, three laptops. Uh, he lent me a laptop. He'd stuck a seven-day trial of Reflector on it, which was fine, except the training was being delivered over a 10-day period. So what I did when that trial ran out, I ended up installing another seven-day trial of Air Server to complete the training. So anyway, now I've handed the laptop back. Both trials have run out anyway, but now they've asked me to create a video of the training for people who weren't able to see it. So looks like I'll be going back to using Reflector on the Mac for that. Oh, head desk. I would need <laughs> Prozac to work with those kind of restrictions. You actually, you mean you have a person there whose job it is to stop you doing your job? Yes. But the thing, the thing was, you know, weeks ago, I explained this to my boss and she said, well, you know, if you can get a copy of Air Server or, or Reflector and, you know, you can borrow a work laptop and you can borrow a work iPad, then I don't have you a problem with you running this training. It's, it's when you're using your own personal equipment for work stuff. So I said, fine, I'll sort all that out. And I did. And, and there is more to it than that. Yes, but now you've actually got, you did have at this stage, um, an iPad Air from work, didn't you? Yes. And three laptops. Yes. Quite a few of them which had Reflector on and some had Air Server on. Some and theoretically, they should work. And a MiFi device. Yes. So you had all of that and they still didn't work. No. But theoretically, they could have done. So at that point, you were able to use your own kit and swear blind you could have used theirs. True. So it wasn't wasted effort then. No. Mm. 
Yeah. Much. Yes. Anyway, didn't you find something similar from uh, TechSmith? Yes, a new app. Got to love new toys. It's a new app to be released very soon, and it's called App Show from TechSmith. Um, it's actually intended to help make preview videos and tutorials for iOS apps, but it's very similar to what most folks use Reflector and uh, AirServer for. So it's built on the new technologies from Apple aimed at doing the same thing. They introduced that concept, didn't they, of um, reflecting a screen from an iOS device to a Mac to create a video to put in the App Store. But interestingly, although it's a standalone app, AppShow can feed its footage into Camtasia for Mac. Now, the recording format of Camtasia for Mac is now cross-platform. So when you record something with Camtasia for Mac, it creates what's called a T-Rec file, a TechSmith recording file. So that's actually quite a big feature that Camtasia for Mac will have over ScreenFlow. So unless ScreenFlow update, creating a brand new version of ScreenFlow, and it actually has that built in, that will be a big advantage for Camtasia for Mac. Don't get her going on ScreenFlow. Oh, yes. There was a recent update to ScreenFlow. It was a complete disaster. Do you know, there are times I don't know why I persist with that app. It's a great app when it's working, but it spends a fair percentage of the year in a coma-like state waiting for an update. So what happened this time then? I, well, I've talked about it breaking before, haven't I? Several Usually times. When, yes, that's because it breaks several times. Usually when there's an OS update, but this wasn't an OS update. No, um, they released an update which um, broke the Zoom when there were more than a handful of clips. So for the uninitiated, you have a timeline similar to iMovie. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I'm editing tutorials, which is virtually 90% of my life, I'm zooming in and out all of the time. Zooming in and out of the timeline, not the preview at the top, the canvas. I'm zooming in and out of the timeline. And that was what it had broken. So what would happen is it either crashed the whole thing. ScreenFlow just completely crashed repeatedly. But if you could afford to wait 45 minutes between zooms, it would eventually spring back to life. I haven't got 45 minutes every time I need to zoom something. Uh, that was when I made an emergency switch to Camtasia. I had used it before. Uh, this is Camtasia for Mac. It's slightly different enough to slow me down. Anyway, uh, having had to persist with it between them bringing out this update that broke it and then bringing out another update that fixed it, um, I was using Camtasia. And I now have a complete shopping list of features and tweaks that I need to send to TechSmith. They'll be thrilled. <laughs> I don't think so. They're still recovering from their latest encounter with me regarding Snagit. They brought out an update to Snagit and it was a pretty decent update, wasn't it? Because it added video recording or was it video recording and editing, ba basic editing. Or have you not updated? I don't think I've updated. That was probably wise when, <laughs> when I finished my tale. Yeah, they, it added a lot of features anyway. This is the problem with, with, with companies though, isn't it? Um, TechSmith have a free product called Jing and it records your screen and does basic edits and you can put the resulting files up on their servers. So a little bit like Clarify works with Clarify It. And um, totally free. Fabulous. The next one up is Snagit. That now does video recording. A lot of overlap there then. And then there's Camtasia, flagship product, and that does video recording too. So it gets confusing. Anyway, so I had Snagit and uh, version three came out. Now, the version two that I had 
people are going to wonder. So they're going to think I'm strange here, but I think pretty much the map biters know how strange I am. I had a version from TechSmith. So one you trial, download, install, serial number, that kind of thing. I also had the version from the Mac App Store. I know you're wondering why. Because I've got more than two Macs and I can only install the one from them on two Macs. So that was why I had both versions. So version three came out. And on the machine that I was sat at, I had the version from directly from TechSmith. And it said, there is a new version out. It's a paid for upgrade. Do you want to install the trial? And I thought, I use this app all the time. Yes, I will. So I overwrote version two directly from them with version three directly from them. And it was a trial version. When the trial ran out, um, you could activate the trial again for 15 days. So you only got a 15 day trial, but they would let you do that twice. So I did that in the end, uh, pretty much because I was in the middle of doing a job and I didn't want to stop and have to do, you know, go buy it or whatever. So I just activated it. In the meanwhile, on my MacBook Air, I realised that I had version two installed and I went in to update my software. And in the app store, it said there's an update available to Snagit. And I thought, I know there is, but it's version three. It's a paid for update. Apparently not. If I bought directly from them version two, I had to pay again for an update to version three. But if I'd bought from the App Store, not only could I install it on as many Macs as I've got, but I also got a completely free update. You can imagine what I was thinking at that point. So what I did was I installed the version from the App Store on the MacBook Air and everything is working perfectly. Once the trial of version three trial version two, if you know what I mean. My second 15 day trial had run out. I thought, am I going to pay for that from them or am I just going to uninstall it and install the version from the Mac App Store? Now, what would you have done? I would probably get the Mac App Store version. That's what I did. But I thought there could be possible conflict, so I'll uninstall it. Not only did I uninstall it, I app zapped it and subsequently um, app deleted it as well. And I installed the version from the Mac App Store. Everything was functioning fine until I rebooted the machine, at which point, you know, these helper apps that run on startup like Witch and Keyboard Maestro and all those kind of things. Yeah, it's got one. It's got one of those. And all it does is allow you to have a global shortcut key to access the thing. And what was happening was that was attempting to run and it gave me an error message. And the error message was talking that it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't the most kind error message I've ever seen. It wasn't the most helpful in terms of what it told you. But I figured that's what it was. So again, I uninstalled it and I app deleted and I rebooted and the problem had gone. So I thought, OK, the problem is definitely this thing is trying to run on startup. So yet again, I installed it for the 50th time from the App Store. And as soon as I turned this feature on, I got this error. So I put all of that in an email explaining that I'd had the trial version, I'd uninstalled the trial, I'd then installed the Mac App Store version and it was all working apart from this error message. And I got a message back saying that it was because of the sandboxing. And what's happening is it's trying to that. You remember that we talked about Adobe, that you can't give two apps away in a bundle in the App Store. Yeah. Same principle, although this is only a helper app, it needs the main app to run first because of the sandboxing. And that wasn't what was happening. 
So they gave me some advice. They gave me some screenshots and told me to follow along with it. So I did. And once I'd finished following their advice, I thought, well, is that it? You know, I'm looking for like stage two, three and four, because what they told me to do was turn the feature off. So don't have it running on startup. Now, when I say running on startup, not the full app, the helper. So if you don't run the helper on startup, it goes away. You can imagine that my reply was probably not safe for work. So I clarified with them, do you mean turn this feature off? Because if I turn this feature off, it won't work as it's advertised. It won't work as it's intended. And they wrote back and said, that is our official policy. Well, to me, it sounds like this. Imagine, you're ahead of me, aren't you, Mike? I am. Imagine I've got a dripping tap in the bathroom. So I call a plumber and the plumber takes a look and says, yes, indeed, it is a dripping tap. And my best advice to you is to close the door. And when I say yes, but the tap will still be dripping, he'll say yes, but you won't see it. So, of course, if I don't try running this app, it won't crash. And that was their best advice. Not safe for work was an understatement. Uh, I've still got an open ticket with them. <laughs> More on that in the future, I think. Should we move on to something else? Do you mean something that's not annoying me? I'm sure there'll be more annoying you, but I don't think... No, that... no. Would, if, if, would, if you're moving on to Lightroom, that's just annoying everybody else. So oh, I'm fine with well, it. Well, was, it was Lightroom, yes. Adobe are making the most of Apple's decision to ditch Aperture with something useful for potential switchers. Yes, they've taken, what what is it now, about a month, and they've got a whole portal dedicated to making the switch from Aperture to Lightroom. So it's a whole portal. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and there's also a white paper that they've created. And um, it's a whole PDF with all the details you need to know from how to switch from Aperture to Lightroom. I would still say with that, hang fire a little bit, because I think there's probably scope for a more automated system. But it's certainly light reading for you if you are contemplating making the switch. And don't forget, MacBytes Learning has got a three-part series covering all things Lightroom, starting this week on Thursday, but more on that later. So that was our little light interlude. <laughs> are you going to share another gripe of the week? <clears throat> This was the only gripe of the week at the beginning, wasn't it? I've just found about five more. Yes, this gripe of the week involves both Google and keyboards. I know what you're thinking. Perfect storm of a gripe there. Oh, I'll say. Do you remember the problem I was having with the section key? Yes. My, my, I'll recap quickly. I had a keyboard. It worked perfectly. I use a different keyboard for my tutorials and um, webinars. One that's quieter. Mine sounds like um, dropping a brick from four foot. So I use this other keyboard. And then when I switch back to my keyboard, all the keys are confused. So the section key and the tilde key, uh, which is a back tick, isn't it? The back tick between the shift and the Z are all confused. And I solved the problem. I had to nuke stuff and I solved the problem. And guess what? Now Chrome's doing it. What I've got is a lot of Typeinator shortcut keys that use the section key. And in Chrome, I've got the Evernote clipper running in the background all the time. And you can't change the key that it uses. And it uses that tilde key or the back tick. So when you're in Chrome, you tap that key and you get the Evernote clipper popping up over the top. Well, that's not a key I use a lot. So that's fine. I'm fine with that. Chrome has got confused. Um, and Chrome is running the Evernote Clipper every time I press the section key. 
And the section key's got nothing whatsoever to do with the Evernote clipper. The Evernote clipper is, is not saying anywhere, you know, press the section key. It, it's the back tick key. So it's Chrome. But I did discover, because as I'm typing, I'm thinking, what's that? Where's that come from? You know, there's something going on. Pressing the, the section key twice does close the Evernote clipper. But then, of course, you've got two section keys displayed and then you've got to delete one. So you mean you've broken something else? Looks like it. However, the Justin TV thing was nothing to do with me. Yes, Justin TV just vanished. Apparently Twitch is there, still clinging on. But... Rumour has it that Google have bought it. That potentially explains a lot. A sunsetting. The shocking part for me was no data retrieval whatsoever available to the users. Yeah, I had a read of the uh, shutdown FAQs. Users were permitted to broadcast to an unlimited number of people for free. And one of the questions was, can I retrieve my videos? And the answer was, unfortunately, videos on Justin TV are no longer accessible for download. Video archiving and video on demand was removed on the 15th of June. Now, apparently pro account users will get a refund, although... But the pro account users weren't the people broadcasting, were they? No, the pro account users were people who paid to watch it. I, um, I can't remember all the benefits. I think it was no adverts and, and things like that. But on a forum, somebody asked about a refund for the app. They said, I, I paid $5 for my iPhone app and $10 for my HD iPad app. And will I get a refund for that? That's a good point. I don't think that you can expect a refund, though I don't think I'd be happy if I'd just paid for an app and the service was shut down within a, a short time frame. I also think it's a bit strange to charge for an app and make the service free. It's usually the other way around. To me, it just emphasises the perils of free. Yeah, they can, they can do what they like, but it's been handled very poorly. I think it has a couple of weeks notice wouldn't have hurt would it in fact two weeks isn't actually a lot of time you could be on holiday but it's better than nothing and nothing's what they've had here but it's not the only service to unceremoniously be terminated lately is it no apple bought swell yeah i'd never heard of that must admit not not on my radar much either but apparently it was pandora for podcasts random podcasts I had to give that a bit of a thought as well. I'm hoping it's something like, you've listened to Mac Break Weekly, so here's an episode of Mac Bites. <laughs> Culture shock much. Um, could you think that would work? Random podcast based on what you've listened mm, to. Well, a bit like you've listened to the Man United podcast, so here's the Arsenal one. Yeah. <laughs> I could see Andy, that. Andy and Carrie would understand that. I think they would. <laughs> Um, well, they've got a lot of venture funding, 7.2 million in venture funding, but apparently they've now been sold and they've got $30 million from Apple. Probably bought for the uh, the recommendation engine functionality. Huh. Genius for podcasts. Oh, joy. Yeah, Apple don't actually have a great track record in the podcasting space, if you think about the podcasting app. And if it makes them money, then maybe they'll provide some kind of, I don't know, hosting service. But more likely what they'll want is they'll want the knowledge of the developers, the IP, uh, intellectual property, uh, for other things like maybe iTunes Radio or some service we've not heard of yet. You know, I don't know. What are Apple planning? I've said for a while, I thought some of the things they did, it looked like they were going to provide a platform for paid for podcasts. 
because it used to just say subscribe on the button on a podcast and now it says free. It was as if they were building in the functionality to allow you to put a price on it. And that changed ages ago. I could see scope for hosting podcasts either with Apple or them allowing you to charge for podcast content and you take the money via people's iTunes accounts. That way, it's 30% for Apple. I hadn't thought of that. It's only a matter of time. Apple have thought of that. When I said hosting with Apple, I, I, I'm moving away from that. I don't see Apple providing hosting because they don't for, for devs, do they, for apps? That's true. You are responsible for, for hosting your own. Otherwise, Libsyn would be sunsetted next. But I definitely think it's only a matter of time. If Apple could make 30% of um, what everybody's charged for podcasts, they'd be quite happy with that, I think. They would. Should we move on and talk about measurements? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> You're all wondering what we're talking about. You and your requirements. Me and my requirements, yes. Uh, recently at work, I was asked to create a short video. Yes, another one. About N- making measurements? Sort of. No, nothing to do with measurements. The two ways that I could have created this video, I could have done a proper screen recording and then generated it as a, an MP4. Or I could have taken screenshots added the screenshots into PowerPoint, one per slide, and then recorded the slideshow being played and then generated an MP4 from the recording. I opted for the second option um, because I could have reused those slides if I ever needed to deliver it as a PowerPoint. And also it was easier to edit than a video, and particularly this system I was creating the video of. Um, I knew I was going to have to edit things out anyway like putting in my password. And I knew this system because it was browser-based and it was slow. Uh, you would see lots of um, egg timer things, the equivalent of the beach ball. Forgotten. Is it egg timer on Windows now? The donut, the donut of death. Donut of death, yes. Wheel, or the circle of hope or the wheel of, of doom or whatever they're calling it in Windows <laughs> these days. We have lots of names for that at work. Anyway, You know, people are thinking that you'd have to edit out you putting your password in for security purposes. But you and I know better, don't we? We do. The last time you did a tutorial and you said, so you put your password in and you put password in, you got support tickets for weeks with people saying, that when I type password in, it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, on a, on a Windows machine, as you type your password in, you don't see the password. But I'm just so used to typing in my password on an iOS device. And obviously, you do see the password as you're typing it in. Anyway, to continue, whichever method I used, it had to be on Windows using my work laptop. So I couldn't have done it on a Mac as I needed to be logged into the network. And also, the browser had to be set to a specific size, which was 1280 by 720. This is where the measuring bit comes in because you're probably all wondering what I've been talking about. Anyway, on the Mac, I use an app called Pixel Stick, which I know we've mentioned before. And it's I it, it does one job and it does it does it pretty well. It's it's for measuring. It's like an on-screen ruler. It's got two endpoints, and as you drag these endpoints to the left or the right, the on-screen panel, little panel on screen, displays the length or the height of the ruler in pixels. Now, if you're wondering what I use it for, one of the main reasons I use it is to work out how wide a video or an image should be that is going on my blog or the Excel trainer or one of the other sites that I've got. I've got a number of WordPress sites and I can never remember the maximum width of each one. I know I, I know I should just stick them in OneNote or Evernote, but you know, 
I did it the other day. I needed an image to put in a blog post. Heaven forbid you should do what you should do. Yes, but it's quicker just to fire up pixel stick and measure the screen so I know how much space I've got. So what size, the, what maximum size the image should be. So anyway, what I did, I was at work and I googled pixel stick alternative for Windows, not expecting to find much. And I did find quite a few. And one of them was an app called Measure, M-E-A-Z-U-R-E. It's free. And even though I'm in a, a locked down environment, we have something called Privilege Guard. That's a funny name for a Rottweiler. Yes, it's the IT department's pet Rottweiler. <laughs> Microsoft had one of those called Kerberos. Microsoft and security? Yeah, right. Yeah, Privilege Guard is installed on my laptop and... It's supposed to be used to allow us to update drivers and things. So the idea is instead of having to get the IT department to install your software, uh, you can actually install stuff yourself. But I use it. Uh, I was going to say I shouldn't really be saying this, but you know we've got this, the thing there to allow us to do this. I use it to install software. Um, so what I did... That's you, sacked. Mm, no, it's you've got to give a reason. When you log in to use this privilege guard, you've got to give a reason. And I usually say evaluate software or something like that. I've got a fabulous reason from Jane. Because. Because. That'll do for that'll do for me. My reason's always the same. Because. I don't think that will go down well. <laughs> so I installed this um this measure app and one of the features is an on screen panel that draws a rectangle. So what I did is I typed 1280, 720 into the height and width boxes. I got a nice little rectangle on screen and it was transparent with a thin red border. And then I resized my browser to fit into it, closed the app and then just got on with taking screenshots. You do realise that Pixel Stick on a Mac won't actually do what you needed, don't you? I didn't until you told me. It only measures in one dimension at a time, width or height. What you really needed was frame capture. Frame capture is where um, you have an app that creates a frame, which is pretty much what Measure did. And um, you can either take the screen cap using the app or you've got the area to make the cap from. There's three viable alternatives for that, but I'll talk about it later. So back to my original story, um, I've taken my screenshots, I've got my screenshots that I've taken with Snagit, I've got about 20 PNG files, now I've got to get them into PowerPoint. So one way would be to create a blank PowerPoint file, add 20 blank slides and then use insert picture on each slide and line them up properly. But there's a quicker way, but only the Windows version has this and it's in PowerPoint to create a photo album. Then select the 20 PNG files and it creates a new PowerPoint file automatically adds the correct number of slides, places one image onto each slide. Now, the main problem with that is the slide size for the photo album is 4.3. It certainly is on PowerPoint 2007. They've changed that for uh, 2013. My images are 1280 by 720, which is the wrong ratio. It's 16.9. There is a fix for it, although it only works on Windows, and that is to create a new photo album, add a single picture, which you'll delete later, change the slide size to 16.9, edit the photo album, select the images you want, and then delete the first slide. Oh, good grief. You do know that Keynote just does that, don't you? Just drag and drop the images into the sidebar, you're done. 
I do know that, but unfortunately I wasn't using Keynote. Well, mm, you could use Keynote to create the file and then save as PowerPoint, though. Very true, which I, you know, I should do that because that gives me the benefit of using Keynote, making it easy and satisfies my boss's requirements as it has to be something that we can all edit in the future when you've left the company. I've actually had people come and say, you know, I need my PowerPoint slides to be a certain size, pixels, pixel dimension, and they're using an old version of PowerPoint and it just won't do it. You you can size it, but you can only size it with centimetres and stuff. It, it works. It, it's like an old design for printing it out, isn't it? It works yeah. for paper. So what I do is just create it in PowerPoint and then save out a blank file, literally just one slide and it's blank, save it out as PowerPoint and then take it into PowerPoint and work from there. Because when you do that, PowerPoint does respect the size that was set in Keynote. So I've actually used Keynote extensively just for making templates of the right size and then carry on doing the work in PowerPoint. But it always starts life in Keynote because then it's absolutely the right size. PowerPoint for Mac doesn't have the photo album, nor does it allow drag and drop images into it. But there is an alternative if you use PowerPoint for Mac and it doesn't involve Keynote. I found a script. It's called the Mac PowerPoint Batch Uploader and it's a small Apple script. Um, I'll put a link in the show note for where you can download it from. But you download it, you unzip it and then just run the script. It will conf- it will need you to confirm the gatekeeper prompt. And all it does is give you a file open dialogue. So you point it to the images that you want to be included in your presentation and you're done. The only trouble with this was you weren't, were you, when we tried it? No, it didn't seem to work with TIFFs and it failed with the same images that worked for you. Operator error, I think. Well, the idea is there and it might work for you in a pinch, um, but by far the easiest way is to just use Keynote and save it to PowerPoint. Yeah, as I say, I think you're right on that point. And that leads us nicely into frame capture discussion. Yes, frame capture is, um, like I say, it allows you to predefine an area of your screen to be captured and then repeatedly capture that exact same area, which was really what you were up to, wasn't it? That was what you wanted to do. That's what I wanted. Now, it's more difficult to make that feature obvious than just capturing an area or an entire screen. And it might be in an app, but most users are unaware of it. So um, case in point being Skitch version one, pet peeve of mine ruined by Evernote. I know they've improved it, but they have not fully restored it to its former glory. And this is a case in point. The frame capture feature was virtually undocumented and it was certainly hidden away in the interface. Yeah, I certainly had no idea that it was there. It was a feature that allowed you to change the entire mode of the Skitch interface and how Skitch operated. Uh, Instead of you having a canvas and then you click the, you know, make a capture button and Skitch disappeared and you could draw around something. This mode turned Skitch into a transparent frame mode. Um, You could then size the Skitch window to match the desired capture size and location. So you you extended the frame of Skitch or reduced it to, to what you want, in your case, 720, you know, 1280, 720, and position it on the screen where you wanted the capture. And then it had a snap button and you could just click that snap button and you were done. It was an awesome feature. It enabled you to move the location of the capture, but still keep the precise scale. So wherever you move this frame to, 
you and you could see through it to your desktop and your apps, it was still the right size. Now, it still works in the last point release of version one of Sketch. And I've talked about running multiple versions of Sketch in previous shows. Uh, what you need to do is install the last version of Sketch version one, rename the app file to Sketch Classic, and then your latest version of Sketch remains called Sketch. And you've got the advantage of that being completely free. The disadvantage, of course, is once you get used to using it, you'll love it and it will stop working at some point. And as it's no longer in development, you will then have to move on, which was what I did. I moved on to an app called Snap Ruler, which is similar to Pixel Stick, but it does measure in two dimensions, which was exactly what you were looking for. Um, I did use Pixel Stick for ages, though. Um, it is a very good app. I changed a snap ruler and the sole reason was more functionality. It's got a whole different interface. It's not just one line that you draw on the screen. It also has the benefit of working more like a screen capture utility. So what you get when you open up snap ruler is a menu bar app. There is a customizable shortcut key to activate it. And then what you get is a crosshair and a loop with a zoom in it. And you click and drag, which draws a box on the screen. And really, at that point, what you're using it for is to make measurements like you were talking about. So imagine you're looking at um, a blog and I'm thinking, what size did I make that image? Instead of doing it in two, which I would do with Pixel Stick, so I'd measure the width and then I'd do the height. With Snap Ruler, you can do both at the same time because you can just draw around it and you got a square on the screen. But one of the extra benefits of this is that once you've got the box on the screen, in the middle of the selected area, there is a size displayed, an on-screen display. And within that, there is a camera icon. And if you click on there, it will take a retrospective screenshot. It will take a screenshot of just the area of the screen that has the border around it. Now, this heads up display also gives you configurable copy and paste of size attributes. Now, it might sound odd. What would you want that for? But you can actually copy a block of HTML with the size already populated in it. You can also copy a CSS or Ruby on Rails. So the whole thing is configurable to copy the sizing as a block of code and just paste it in. So it's really quick for that kind of thing. But it's the snap screen button that is awesome because it gives you pixel perfect screen capture. Now you can be precise with the location and size, but the size that you set, which is what you wanted, you wanted that 128720, the size doesn't persist across captures. It needs to be reset on each capture unless you use this mode, which is called actual size mode. And then with that, you specify the dimensions in a dialog box. So in your case, if you'd have typed into that dialog box 128720, it would automatically have been the right size. And when it disappears off the screen, you can then bring it back later and the size will persist across the sessions. And that app is $6.99 from the Mac App Store. So I do still use that one, but there is one that's even better than that, which is called Xscope. Now, Xscope is a suite of utilities and it's a whole range of tools and they are all awesome. They're used really for measuring, inspecting, testing, all to do with on-screen graphics and layouts. Now, I'm only going to look at one of these tools today in relation to what we're talking about with frame capture. In Xscope, that frame capture option is called screens. 
And what it gives you is a black frame that you place in a required location. It sounds simple, but it is by far the best tool I've ever found for making frame captures because it has saved settings. So if you think about Skitch, you've got to manually size it. You think about Snap Ruler, you've got to go in and, and bring it back each time. With this one, it's got these save settings. There are also built-in options for common screen sizes, including iPad, iPhone and Android. Now, if you choose, for example, iPad, you then get options for specific layouts. Now you're thinking this is getting complicated. For taking a screenshot, it is, but I'm, I'm explaining it because it is totally awesome. Imagine that you're designing a wallpaper for a lock screen and you're going to need to know when you've designed it, what does that look like in on the iPad in relation to the lock position? You know, you get your enter your code and you swipe to unlock and all that. Yeah. Well, screens inside Xscope has got overlays for things like the navigation bar, the toolbar, keyboards, the lock screen, and there's a whole range of built-in options. You can also make your own. So in your case, I think there is one actually for 720p, but you could make one for 1280 by 720 Now, it goes a lot further than that. Um, it does do an amazing range of things. Um, for example, it's got tools in there to simulate vision defects. So designers can check how their designs would look to people affected with visual impairments, colour blindness, those kind of things. And I've, I've tried it. I've turned it on and I've had a look at it. And I said to you with one, didn't I? That doesn't look bad. It made it look like red. But there was like a glow on the outside of the graphic. And I said, I would change that because of that. And I would have had no idea how bad it looked to people with visual impairments. So um, great tool for that. Now, all of that is awesome. But the one side benefit of the utility is that it has an ability to capture what the screen utility frames just by clicking a camera icon that's on, on the bar of it. And you can say whether you want it copied to the clipboard, saved automatically, or it could prompt you to save it. So it's incredibly flexible too, because you can move the frame and it retain the same size. So you are absolutely sure that you've got the right size. It is a fantastic tool and I wouldn't be without it. Um, I'll talk about it more, but as I said, you know, as I said, it does a lot more. It's for another time. Yeah, it is a great tool, but probably overkill for just taking screenshots. Depends how many times you use it, to be honest. But just to give people an idea, it is thirty four ninety nine. That's pounds, 30, 35 pounds on the Mac App Store and $50 direct from, um, ooh, what are they called? They're the people that make um, Icon. Is it Icon Factory? I think it could be Icon Factory. I'll have a look. I, please do, because I'm probably wrong. Um, there's also, while you do that, uh, another app called Xscope Mirror for iOS. And that shows any window from your Mac on an iOS device. Icon Factory and Artist Software. That's quite right, for once. <laughs> I'm usually terribly wrong with that. So, um, yeah, Xscope Mirror. It allows you to, to view any window from your Mac on an iOS device, which sounds odd. The reason I would use that, it's much faster to check a design that you're working on by mirroring it than it is to manually transfer it and then think I'm two pixels out and then have to manually transfer it again and again and again. So for that, that's amazing. And that is uh, £1.49, I believe. Now, the whole thing together, I appreciate it is expensive by comparison to the other options, but it is a tool that does much, much more than that. There is a whole range of things it does. So full review coming up in a future show. But I noticed that all of these things 
phones have the same issues with menu mirroring as Pixel Stick does? Yes, I had a problem with Pixel Stick. It was only working on my iMac screen. So I'd run the app and I would get, as I said to you earlier, I'd get this, this red line, which you use to resize and then measure. And as soon as I dragged that over onto my secondary monitor, it disappeared. Which is when I came to your rescue with an explanation of why it wasn't working. Care to explain? It's Maverick's default full screen option. Um, the menu is displayed on all the screens and that is done via making each screen a separate space in its own right. And the effect of that is to break a lot of these sort of apps. But all is not lost. It's controlled via mission control settings. The displays have separate spaces and the knock-on effect of that is multiple menu bars, no window spanning. And as we've said, half of these apps break. But you can return it to its pre-Mavericks behaviour. Yeah, I turned it off, uh, which I didn't even know you could do that. So uh, the, the result of that was that I lost the use of the second monitor when I was taking anything full screen, which was really back to the lion mountain lion way of working. Although I didn't actually lose anything I was worried about. It's a dirty hack that they've implemented really in Mavericks to make the multiple screen thing work. And it's not an easy thing to turn on and off because you need to log out and you actually will lose more than you think. Um, obviously, there's, you know, first thing you'll lose is the menu on both screens. Which for me is no great loss. I've always found that confusing anyway. I've got used to it. But you'll also lose the ability to take a YouTube or Vimeo video full screen on a single screen and then make notes on the other screen. For films and TV, a small window is fine, but for tutorials, I really need the video big enough to see the screen, you know, to see the details. Um, there's a downside, though, to the new Mavericks implementation, which is these apps don't work on all the monitors. It's fiddly to force windows to open on a specific screen. You, it can be done, but sometimes they totally ignore the settings. Um, I th I've talked about BusyCal and it's busy doing its own thing. I've still got that. It will not open up full screen. It will not remember that I had it full screen. I've, I've, I have got it actually on the right monitor now, but it's still doing its own thing. Um, I've also noticed dialog boxes popping up on random screens. Have you noticed that? You're in an app and, and you open a dialog and it appears on the other screen. And you're sat there waiting. I have. I noticed. I noticed that today. You know the the color picker thing that appeared on the other screen to the the app. Yeah. Sometimes it remembers where it was. Sometimes it doesn't. And stuff like default folder when it comes to selecting a save location, I'm trying to click. I've got this option turned on that um, I can click in the background and it will select a folder and it doesn't. So I've got that problem too. I've not noticed default folder misbehaving. Um, it's working now that I've turned Maverick's implementation off. Yeah, I would really have to think about whether I want to lose the ability to view the video and make notes in order to fix everything else. And um, of course, there's still the other debacle, isn't there? Google Chrome and the, um, the return of the bell. Have I talked about that? Have I ranted about it? I can't remember. I'll do it again. One rant turns into another. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, no, Google Chrome has this uh, notification bell thing and you, it can be turned off. But for some random reason, if you take a video full screen and then you take, you know, within Chrome, so you make Chrome full screen on one monitor on Mavericks and then you take it out of full screen mode, the notification bell comes back and will not disappear until you close Chrome and reopen it. What on earth 
taking it full screen has got to do with notifications, I have no idea. But it isn't a case of, you know, you minimise it and then it goes away. It won't. You've got to shut down Chrome entirely and then go back into it. I think I possibly have way too many open windows in my browser and it takes me a long time to close Chrome and open it again. That's why I don't like doing it. So, yeah, I would have to think very carefully before I tried to, to make a change to fix everything else. Yes, that's something I'm going to need to think about. I think we leave the ranting there because it's that time again. <gasps> the time Jane loves. It's, it's time, time for Mac, Mac Love Bites. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jane said uh, last week, she said on, on Twitter, listening to the latest episode and hearing out Thomas Mike doing the intro to Mac Love Bites at 8.30am is just too good. So that's one vote for me doing the Mac Love Bite stinger then. Get on with it. Okay. Gareth. Gareth wrote to share his love for his new MacBook Air. He said, I wanted a MacBook Air for a while, but the price was always a bit of a showstopper, especially since I have an iMac and an iPad. I managed to use the iPad for mobile work, but I was still hankering after a MacBook Air. That was when I found a 2013 11-inch MacBook Air in a refurb store. It was reduced to £599. I decided to snap it up. A couple of days later it arrived. I set up my new toy and it's the best Mac I've ever had. So small, light, portable and faster than I expected. I should have got one months ago. I was concerned about whether to go for the 11 inch in case the screen was too small, but I recall Elaine saying that she had the same concerns, but felt it was no issue, so I went for it. Elaine was right, I don't find it difficult to switch between my 27 inch iMac and my new baby at all, so if there's anyone out there on the fence, just do it, you won't regret it. Regret it. So there you have that, it's my Mac Love Bite. That is awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I love my MacBook Air too. It goes with everything I throw at it. The only time I nearly killed it, uh, I was processing a video from a 90 minute live session. It did it, but it nearly melted. Yeah, you know, I could be tempted by one of those as well at that price. I'm sure you could. We also heard from uh, Ian from uh, Digital Outbox. He says... Hello, MacBiters. Good to see, hear your podcasting again regularly. Just finished episode 91. Yes, I'm behind. Delinquency. Delinquency. And with you mentioning an opportunity for developers to step into the aperture hole, I thought I'd mention Affinity from Serif. You've probably heard of it, but I only stumbled upon it, these apps at the weekend. Looks like a suite. Just three counters a suite. Absolutely. Of apps, according to the blog post, with Affinity Designer available as a beta right now. Designer looks like a capable tool, but I only dip into Sketch now and again, so I wouldn't know if it's really good or not, as I never stretch it. Nice to see some alternatives, though. Keep up the good work. Cheers, Ian. I'll leave this one to you, as you appreciate graphics apps more than me. Though I will say from the website, the tools palette looked just like the one in Pixelmator. It did. And shamefully... I hadn't spotted this new toy, losing my touch. It had somehow inexplicably gone under my radar, but now I've seen it, I am on it. You're right, it does look very similar to Pixelmator in terms of UI. I'm going to be giving the beta a test drive this week that I will report back. But big thanks to Ian for sending that in and for your kind words too. And if you would like to hear more from Ian, check out his podcast, which is Digital Outbox at digitaloutbox.com. And on to events and you're going live this week with the first part of your three-part Lightroom series. Why don't you give us some details? 
Yeah, the first session is on Thursday and it is Lightroom 101, covering everything you need to know to get started with Lightroom. And we'll be having a Q&A. People have already sent me questions, so I'm predicting a lot of fun during the Q&A. And the two other sessions will be in September and October. So uh, Thursday, the 15th of August for the first one. But you know what? With all the delinquency, maybe I should actually be talking about part two. I am trusting that you're all up to date. So it's a free session. All are welcome. And you are able to watch via Connect or via um, our live stream, which will be via YouTube. And that's it for this episode of Matt Bytes. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, use the website, Facebook, Google Plus and of course, Twitter, twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesSiri. So until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. Five shows in five weeks. They're heading for a record. They're heading for 100. Don't even think it. You'll jinx it. I will not. Mention it again and I'll have to confiscate your charging cable. You can be so masterful.